seeing children who in the natural, in their everyday conversations and in everyday interactions are lovely kids going online and behaving completely differently to who they actually are and who we're raising them to be. And so often we hear often about cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is a real thing. And I think it's really important that as we we equip our kids to be online, we equip them to be kind, to, to be loving, to be an example, to lead, and actually to live lives of purpose and godly lives. Our guest on Focus on the Family today is Christy Herselman, and she was giving us great advice on how we should teach our kids to be kind online and stop the cycle of comparison that creeps into the brain as they navigate the online world. I know you're going to want to stay tuned for this conversation, so strap yourself in and join us for what we believe is going to be a life-changing conversation for parents. Your host is Focus CEO Graham Schnell, and I'm Alison Schnell. Alison, we often talk about the fact that parenting is harder today in this day and age. Um, And it's not to say that there weren't challenges in the olden days, but uh, with this technology environment that we live in, uh, there are just so many pitfalls and dangers that we have to just guard our children against. I know. And added to the need for us to protect our children is the fact that many of us parents were born in a slightly less technological age. (laughs) So we often struggle with how to protect our kids because we don't fully understand the landscape we're protecting them in. Yeah. And these days I heard people talk about digital immigrants and digital natives uh, or, or visitors versus residents. And we're the immigrants because we were brought up before the widespread use of technology. But our kids are natives. They've been born into it. Yeah. And while we acknowledge the challenges, we don't want to create an attitude of fear. We do want to have a conversation and we want to equip parents with tools that will help them to navigate this tricky domain. And our guest today is here to help us do just that. Christy Herselman founded a movement called The Chat, which exists to start conversations and impart accurate information around issues like sex, identity, social media, and pornography. Christy was with us last time talking about her book called The Chat, Birds, Bees, and Destinies, which was a great conversation, by the way. But she's written a new book called Hashtag Well Connected, How to Be Safe, Wise, and Kind Online. Welcome to Focus on the Family again, Christy. Thanks for having me back. (laughs) Well, we just touched on the reality that parents have fear in this technological age that we live in. And we're entering that space now. Our kids have, have been young and I haven't really had to worry about technology because they've been too young for that and had access to devices and computers. But now they're coming home from school and they have to do some research on a plant or something or get pictures of some country that they're looking at or working with at school. And I do have fear that they might stumble across something that they shouldn't be seeing. And have I got the the right things in place to protect them from that? And that's just one aspect of it. But just talk to the fear that parents have around this issue of technology. It's a very real fear. It's a fear that all of us feel. And I think a lot of it is rooted in the fear of the unknown. As you said, a lot of us didn't grow up with this technology. We didn't have to navigate these things. And honestly, a lot of parents just don't know what's out there and what to do about it. I think some of the fear is well-founded and some of it is probably a little bit exaggerated. 
um, a lot of the fear that parents have is is more around things like their children being trafficked or making connection with people who might entice them to different places or to do different things. And while that fear is a real fear, um, I think it's been exaggerated. I think the chances of that happening are not as large as we would probably assume as parents. But for me, the most important thing that they need to navigate is actually what our children are being exposed to. So not so much what will happen to them externally, Mm -hmm. but what's happening to their hearts and minds through their exposure. And so while we shouldn't fear that, I think it's a very important concern that parents have that they need to address in a healthy way. There is a reality of that contact with with the outside world and not knowing what that looks like. But you're talking about content mm-hmm. being the major thing that we need to be cautious of and what are they being exposed to. Give us some tools at the outset uh, in terms of how do we start protecting our kids from what they might become exposed to before they need to be exposed to that or mostly they should never be exposed to it. Okay, so there's a lot of things parents can do and I think what's happened with a lot of our teenagers, when I talk to teenagers I'd say they're like the guinea pig generation because we don't really know the long-term impact of this exposure on young people and I think a lot of teenagers will admit that they wish they hadn't been exposed to things as young as they were. But parents often, because of the unknown, because they weren't well equipped, they gave their children access too soon. So probably my first point would be keep their world small. Don't rush into Internet access. Children, especially children who are kind of 8 to 11, they are designed to live in a small world, a small community of mom, dad, siblings, school friends, and that's actually where they thrive. Their brains are not nearly ready to process the kinds of interactions online with strangers and with their friends through social media and all those things. They're just not ready. And so my first point would be just think carefully before you give your children access and when you do start to you need to make sure that they have the tools they need to navigate that space you kind of touched on emotional development if I can call it that for kids just this reality that they're young and their their brains are still growing and they're still understanding this world and how do they relate to people in this world how does access to this world wide web potentially harm them and and how do we keep that progression slow? Good question. It's very hard because we are being formed all the time and before digital access our children were being formed mostly through their relationship with parents and friends and school teachers and things like that through the relationships and the conversations but now they're being formed very inadvertently often by what they're exposed to online and especially what we call tweens that's kind of not a child anymore and just before becoming a teenager that's often where the exposure to social media and to the online world really ramps up and at that time it's a very pivotal time in a child's development because they're asking themselves these questions all the time do I fit in am I good enough Do I belong? Do I have friends? And often the narrative in their young minds is not always positive. They're kind of seeing where they fit in. There's the social appraisal of where do I fit in in this world? And so when you throw 
the internet into that mix, there's a lot of negative implications for them because I don't know about you, but social media doesn't often make me feel wonderful about myself. It often has the opposite effect where everyone else's lives look amazing. And so imagine you're 11 and you don't have yet the cognitive ability to process the fact that that is the highlight of their day or their year or whatever. It's just my life sucks. And my friend's life is amazing. Why don't I win medals? Why don't I get straight A's? Why wasn't I invited to that slumber party? And so that negative narrative can get very easily entrenched in a young mind, which actually becomes who they believe themselves to be. And that can carry into adulthood if we're not careful. And so with all these voices coming in from the external, from the internet, from social media, that our voices, the voices of unconditional love, the voice of acceptance, the voice of belonging, the voice of you are plenty good enough and there's a destiny on your life, that those voices are heard over and above and actually the majority of the time. Um, because this constant connection, it's really unhelpful for them. Mm. You know, when we were young, we would go to school, stuff would go down, there might be a bully at school or some mean girl at school. And then they would, you would leave school and they'd stay there. And then you'd go home, you'd play with the dog, you'd kind of have some downtime to process what's happened in the day. Maybe after some time of thinking about it, you'd hopefully say to your mom or your dad or, or an older sibling, there's this kid at school and they might give you some advice. They might remind you who you are, that you're not a dork like that person said or whatever. Your brain would have time to process and actually take what's happened and put it into its rightful place. Something that someone has said that is not true. And then also parents might be able to help you take the right steps. Maybe it goes as far as talking to the principal or, or whatever. But now with access to um, social media and to chat groups and things, that bully follows you home. Mm. Yeah. They don't stop. There's never an escape. There's never an escape. And they um, it's unrelenting. Mm. And often there was a recent CNN documentary that says that 94% of teens believe that their parents underestimate the amount of hostility online. And so when you don't have space to breathe and regroup, your brain just constantly is on this treadmill of this is who I am and I need to I need to hustle for belonging and I need to kind of do what I can to make sure that my social media looks amazing so that people won't just scroll past and, and I will have a kind of a place in this social hierarchy that is my life. Mm. And this is true for adults as well, quite honestly. I mean, we all live in this world where you put your best foot forward mm. on your social media mm. uh, and when you look at everyone else, you're comparing your your existence versus their highlights. You kind of mentioned the delaying, and I think that's a good thing to put out there. We want to, as much as possible, delay our kids from getting into this space. Uh, but at the same time, we recognize we live in a world where technology is prevalent. They're going to need it for their school work and, and the work that they're doing, and they're going to get connected at some point in some way. And so you've written this book really aimed at ages 8 to 11, but with the understanding that hopefully this is to prepare them in advance of them going through some of these struggles. So we know that we want to try and delay it, but the moving to this place of understanding that our kids are in this world, maybe it's a, a teenager already that is connected socially. As parents, uh, what are the things that we need to be equipping ourselves in and what do we need to be doing? We can't necessarily say, okay, we're deleting all your accounts and we're taking your phone away. But we might also be in the place where we don't even understand what 
applications they're using, what social media platforms they're on. I'm thinking of that parent who's still using the Nokia 3310 and uh, just bought their child an iPhone and is now being awakened to the potential dangers. Speak to that parent in terms of what do they need to be doing. There's a few things we can do. So the first thing is if you feel like your child is responsible enough to have access to a device or access to the internet, there needs to be a level of trust. There needs to be a level of helping them to navigate it well. So we kind of need to look at the difference between control and empowerment or equipping. Control and responsibility. And obviously as our children grow, control comes down, freedom and responsibility Mm -hmm. comes up. And that applies to all aspects of parenting. All aspects. So we can apply those same principles, but we cannot abdicate our responsibility in the sphere. And it's strange to me that sometimes parents... They keep a finger on kind of friendships and where their children are going, whose homes they're sleeping over at, as they get older, where your kids going at night. But yet in this space, maybe it's because we don't know and we feel a little bit overwhelmed, but we do often abdicate that kind of responsibility. So maybe to speak to a few different ages, but as they start having access, we need to provide scaffolding. We need to provide a way of them almost like if your child was learning to swim, these are the water wings or the, I don't know, whatever. You don't just chuck your kid in the sea and go, you know, I hope you can swim. <laughs> the beach is that way. I'll be standing on the pier if you need me. <laughs> you you kind of give them baby steps. So, for example, you might give them some, if your tween girl is saying, mom, all my friends have the certain communication app, please can I use it? And you feel like it's time for her to start navigating that, you could possibly put it onto your phone. Then say, let's give it a go. I just want to help you. And so you actually can look at those conversations, but that's open. You're not look going behind her back. You're saying, I want to help you figure out this new world. And then as the responsibility grows and the child is showing themselves to be responsible, you might give them access to different things. So it's a gradual release. It's got to be gradual. You've And we can say as parents, oh, I don't have any clue about this technology, but we can't say that. We actually can't let ourselves off the hook. We need to be educated and we need to be wise. So if your child comes to you and says to you, may I have this app? And that's probably one of my first points was children, they need to ask their parents permission before they download apps onto any device or they go onto any website. So you've got to have a set of rules around kind of a, an agreed technology set of rules and regulations and as a family so that so that they know they can't just do Mm. this without your permission they they've got time limits and data limits and whatever those things might be as a starting point so there's a measure of control but then they're coming to ask you and there's that then flexibility to say okay we we can look at this and then make a decision absolutely so it's boundaries yeah we know boundaries are key in parenting and you mentioned having a set of rules so in my new book I have put a a digital contract at the back for parents to use or use as a starting point because I think when you have these conversations up front and you talk about it and then as your children get older there's maybe a little bit more negotiation or a little bit more you know collaboration Mm -hmm. but saying these things up front and also talking about the why is really really important to avoid things later because I think also out of our fear parents do kind of err on the side of control I completely believe in app
apps and things to kind of try and weed out the rubbish that comes onto our children's devices. I, I believe that is very, very important. But I also know that I can have all the controls I like in my home and my child can walk into a party and someone puts a phone in her face that has got pornography on it. So we put all our energy into control and protecting mm. It will fail us because they can step outside of that so easily and be in a a home that's got Wi-Fi that isn't protected or a kid that's got a phone that's already got the pictures on. Exactly. Um, And and if we haven't equipped them to be able to respond well and have their own boundaries, Mm. uh, that can be a problem. Absolutely, yeah. But as I said, putting those things in place is really great. And there's some wonderful technology. There's amazing apps now. Some of them actually, they've taken data that that kind of raises red flags in terms of depression and suicide and bullying. And so as a parent, you don't need, and this is more for for children who've got a little bit freer access, so teenagers with phones or whoever, if they've got phones, that actually on an ongoing basis, these apps sift through the conversation so you don't read them. But if there's potentially dangerous content, you're alerted as a parent. So there is some amazing stuff out there, and I think we do need to make use of those. But like I said, it's more about equipping our children's hearts and minds so that they can keep themselves safe and wise and kind online. We talked a little about the safe and wise. I think those kind of go together in that you need to be wise in order to keep yourself safe. Mm -hmm. Speak to the kind. What does that look like, to be kind online? A lot of our emphasis as parents is about how other people treat our kids and what they will be exposed to online in terms of how people treat them or websites they may go onto. But increasingly, we're seeing children who, in the natural, in their everyday conversations and in everyday interactions, are lovely kids going online and behaving completely differently to who they actually are and who we're raising them to be. And so often we hear often about cyberbullying. Cyberbullying is a real thing. And I think it's really important that as we we equip our kids to be online, we equip them to be kind, Mm. to, to be loving, to be an example, to lead, and actually to live lives of purpose and godly lives that actually we use social media to advance the kingdom of God and and to change the narratives you know instead of just being sucked into what can be a really really um, negative experience stats say that face to face when we are having a conversation over a cup of coffee 40 to 50 percent of what I say will be about myself the rest will be about you or about other things online 90% of what we say is about ourselves so the online space is is very narcissistic so how can we teach our kids actually to flip that on its head Caroline Leaf has this amazing little tool that I actually use and it's when you see something online that makes you feel envious or jealous because those are very very prevalent emotions you know when you're sitting at home in the holidays and your friend is skiing in Italy So to take that moment to actually say something positive to your friend. So to say, I hope you're having the most amazing time with your family. I miss you. There's brain chemicals. There's serotonin that's then released in your brain that is changing actually the experience that you have online. And so equipping our kids to be kind, it's a very, very important part of them crafting an online life for themselves that's positive and uplifting for themselves and the people that they're interacting with. Christy, I just want to make sure that listeners are aware. 
online, people are often more nasty than they would be face-to-face. Is this true? Is this why you're alerting us to this, of the kindness that we need to be um, showing our children online? I've read articles that say, you know, what you would say face-to-face is very different to what you would say online. And I know you touched on that, but, you know, I think kids are being a whole lot more nasty online because no one is there to talk back to them face to face. They don't mm. have to actually face that person and, do they, and look them in the eyes and say that thing that mm. they've just written in a text message or a, mm. or a WhatsApp. And do they, just as a follow-up to that, do they separate their online existence from their normal existence? Is it, you know, do, and I say they as in kids, but maybe all of us, is there something that we see separate in an online existence uh, to what is our normal existence that causes us to maybe be a different person there than here? Gosh, there's so much to speak into there. So I think definitely children are different online. The shy kid suddenly has a voice. People who might be socially awkward now are able to interact. And often we become this kind of this different person, like you said, because we separate person from online person uh, very often not only ourselves but other people that is why pornography is also such a problem because it's it's kind of you you almost objectify people you separate them from the god-breathed person and they they become kind of like a a one-dimensional person and so people do treat each other differently online and I think a couple things. Number one is sometimes they, because our children have access maybe a bit too early before they they kind of know what to say and how to navigate it, they actually don't mean it. So um, just a bit of neuroscience is our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain that stops us taking big risks and, and blurting stuff out, is only fully developed by the age of 23. So when you're 11 or 12, it's it's still got a long way to go. And so kids that age can be very mean, can be very impulsive. I mean, we only know with our own kids, we say to them, why on earth did you do that? And they go, I don't know. And But with the online space, once it's gone, it's gone. And it's out there. And so even this thing of scaffolding, that's why with Emily, sometimes I will say, sorry, that's my daughter. She will say something on a WhatsApp group, but she doesn't realize the tone with which she said it. Because even us with tone, you know what tone's like on, online. And you have to, they don't really know. And so sometimes they mean without knowing that they are mean. And then a lot of the time they mean because they're trying so desperately to fit in. Your online self is a commodified self. It's likes and shares and follows and hustling. And it's an online, real-time popularity contest. That's what it is. And I was reading an article not so long ago. In the UK now, there's a recognized mental disorder where young people are actually seeing their online self as their real self and their physical self as not their real self. And so they are going to great lengths to make this person match up with the filtered, beautiful version of themselves. I'm talking surgery, Mm -hmm. I'm talking starving themselves, I'm talking all these things where there's actually this complete disconnect, not only from other people, but from your online self. And that person actually becomes more real to them than the person in the flesh. And so it's a very tricky space for young people to navigate, and especially because they're so desperate to fit in. And so often they will keep quiet when someone's bullying 
because they want to stay popular. So they might not be the bully, but when, for example, a girl will say, and this is just an example of, of bullying online, if you post a photo of the girls from our class, don't tag that girl. And she'll tell everyone not to tag that girl on the photos. And that's a very subtle to us clueless moms and dads form of bullying but it's a very cutting thing to do to a young girl who's desperate to fit into the group and so we might go along with it because we want to stay in the favor of the popular girl and it's actually an easy thing to do online but we might not do it in the classroom or when we face to face with that girl who's being ostracized. Christy we are already out of time and there is so much to this topic it is general parenting a lot of it just saying how do we how do we put values into our kids but at the same time navigating a very tricky area in this online world this digital world that we live in and so would you stick with us and we'll come back next time and chat more about some of the the other dangers involved absolutely i'd love to thanks christy it's been so good having you on the show thanks for having me I think Christy was hitting on something profound and increasingly common when she spoke of the way in which children and teens are constantly connected, leaving them with no time to process what they're experiencing. They're always on. And this can have serious implications for their mental and emotional well-being. It's crucial for parents to understand this and monitor their child's online activity. I encourage you to get a copy of Christie's book, Hashtag WellConnected, which aims to help 9 to 12-year-olds be safe, wise, and kind as they find their way around cyberspace and navigate their online lives. It includes conversation starters, helpful tips, and a family digital contract. You can get that from us when you call 031-716-3300 or when you stop by our website at safamily.co.za. And if you're in the Eastern Cape, please don't miss our hashtag WellConnected events with Christy next week. We're in Nelson Mandela Bay on the 16th and East London on the 18th of October. And Christy will speak about online sex and relationships at a special morning event in both cities as well. You'll find all the info And you can get your tickets on our website at safamily.co.za. I'm really looking forward to hearing more from Christy on our next program, and I invite you to join us for that. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you to join us next time when we'll, as always, help you and your family thrive in Christ.